Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church Sermon Podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Come on, good morning, church. Let's give it up for Jesus real quick in this place. You believe he can still heal? He can still set free? He can deliver? Come on, he's in this room, and anything can happen. I love worshiping God with you. I love being a church that believes God's still moving and and, and healing and delivering. Come on, there was no season of miracles. It's not, it's not Hallmark season. There's a God of miracles, everybody. And uh, he is still doing his work in the earth. And I'm also glad to be a part of a church that's on the move themselves. We're not sitting back and waiting. Uh, we're waiting upon the Lord. We talked about it last week. Wait, those that wait upon the Lord. The word upon means like we're, we're, we're waiting upon him as a waiter, as a, as a server. We're serving God. We're serving his purposes and being renewed and refreshed in our strength. Uh, today's a special day. We are starting off our vision season. Um, last week, we started a series called season, uh, House of Miracles, and we're still in that. We're going to be in that all through uh, November, and then we're going to culminate that on December the 3rd with a, our, our vision partner offering. And so we take one big radical faith offering per year. We receive one big uh, radical faith offering per year, and uh, we ask you to pray, ask God we'd have you do, and then we all bring it together uh, on the same day, and we believe God for what we can bring and what he can do, and then we commit to the following year uh, for maybe what we can commit and uh, believe God to do through us. And um, it's amazing. It's powerful every year. And on your seat, you'll see a vision card. And basically, I've been praying for about a year about our facilities, our building, our property. If you look around, this room's full, and uh, that's a good thing. And then first service was full. We had three people give their life to Christ in our first service. What an amazing amazing thing. And then people online are giving their life to Christ and uh, people are being healed. We had an, enc- an encounter on Thursday night. Come on, somebody. It felt like revival in here. We, this altar was full. People are shouting out to Jesus. It's like blind Bartimaeus screaming, uh, you know, son of David, have mercy on me. Remember the religious folks tried to quiet him down? Remember that? Come on, if you're one of those that say it's a, it's a little too loud, you might, you might find yourself in the wrong camp. It's too loud in there. That's what they said to Bartimaeus. They quiet him down. And then Jesus, Jesus just was walking right through town. He was walking right past all the religious people, walking right past the crowd. And then one man that was screaming and shouting and desperate stopped God in his tracks. And God turned around and said, what do you want me to do for you? Come on, some, some of your shout, some of your scream, some of your desperation will actually stop God in his tracks. Maybe, and here's, here's what's important. Maybe the person next to you needs God to stop. Maybe your shout is gonna get God to stop for somebody that might be sitting by you, not just you. Why do we, why do we shout? Why do we praise? Not because we're a contemporary church. Why do we put our hands up? Not because it's contemporary worship, because the Bible says do it. Lift your hands, all you people. Worship the Lord with cymbals and timbrels and with a shout. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Come on, somebody. We're, 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 we are desperate for God to move in our church. And God is moving. And I've been praying, God, give us uh, faith, give us vision uh, for the next season. And so if you, if you know, um, our, our several areas of our church are pretty, pretty tight. Our kids' area is pretty tight. We have room for, we have room for, for, for eight babies. <laughs> and y'all some baby-making people. <laughs> you know? And I mean, like, you know, we got a baby, we have a whole young family section in the back we built back there. So young families can be back there. We have a mother's room. Uh, so moms can, if they need to take, take the baby, we have all that kind of stuff. We're trying to make that available, but we need space. We're, we're out of space for some of the kids stuff. And so our parking's tight. And so we're looking at redoing some of our parking. And then, and then our auditorium is, is, is full two times. And, and I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to preach eight times a Sunday. Somebody, I, I, y'all care about your pastor. Let me stay alive. You know what I'm saying? Like I, 
Um, and so I will as long as I have to. But the vision on this card is a, is a vision that God's given us. I've been praying with my board and with our overseers and with some of our leaders and just asking God, how would you have us expand? The picture on here is not exact. Um, it's a first rendition. We're working with architects and um, it says about 1,200 seats. We're looking at putting about 950 seats on the back side of this building. And then we, we're going to expand our kids space and reconfigure this whole area for kids rooms and, and, and kids worship environments and youth environments. And then for a larger uh, volunteer areas where volunteers can have their own area and then expand some of the parking. All that to say, it, it's probably not just going to happen overnight. It could happen in phases. It could take uh, you know, several years. So all of the vision that we're pushing towards to raise finances are all going towards the phases of this project over the next several years. And so this will be the same vision next year. Uh, some people have asked me, um, are we, are we going to do it debt-free? If you got that kind of check, we'll do it debt-free. Let's go. I love that question. Yes, we will. Come talk to me. You know, but, but, but we're going to do it wisely. We're not, you know, we're, gonna, we're not going to overextend. I'm not going to drive you. I'm not going to pressure you. I'm going to lead you. And uh, my heart is to lead you. And, um, and so we're not going to, it's not high pressure. We will do one giant offering per year. And we believe God, what he'd do through that. And we see miracles through that moment um, every year. And so I'm just asking you, take that card. And for the next month, and so it's no pressure. We give joyfully. We give not, without compulsion. For the next month, just pray. Ask God. Look at the card. Read it. Pray. God, what would you have me do? Um, I was talking to God about this for my own life, and uh, my wife and I are always involved in this. It's something we do, and we've always done. And um, you know, I, I told the Lord, "Do you really want me to do this? Like, do we really want our church to do this right now, God? What is this? Why? You know, you know the condition of the world. You don't know the you know the situations. I mean, you know, interest rates, somebody." <laughs> um, and so all of that to say, you know, I was, I was asking God that, and I told the Lord, I was like, God, I, got a, I have a nice house. Like, I enjoy it, you know. It's over here in Cedar Bluff area. I painted it myself, like, two years ago. I don't need a big, I don't need, God, I'm happy. 48, be 49 in January. I know I don't look it. Thank y'all. You know, I got, you know, I can live the rest of my life happy, like, do, God, do you, really, do you really want me to lead us into this? And I heard the Lord whisper to me in my car. He said, son, this isn't for you. This is for the next pastor and the next pastor. This isn't for you. You're paving a way. You're building a, a, a roadway for generations that are going to come to this place in the middle of an amazing property in Cedar Bluff. We own all this property. And, and this is not for you. This is for what I want to build through your church for the future generations. And so um, I just want to encourage you to pray with me and uh, believe God. And, and on that day, we'll all come together. There's something powerful in that. And uh, I'm going to be in Nehemiah. Um, God put uh, this uh, passage on my heart for the next few uh, weeks. And um, it's a picture of uh, really rebuilding some things. And um, Nehemiah is a young man born into captivity. He's born in the Babylonian captivity. And um, Babylon uh, came and God used them to, to take his people captive. God used instruments like that in the Old Testament many times. And it was a pattern. God's people would serve him and then they would go do their own thing after they were blessed and then they'd get into captivity. Anybody ever experience that? Like, I love you, God. I promise I'll never do that again as you are in front of the porcelain toilet, you know, praying to the porcelain God. I'll never, you know, sometimes we, we, we get blessed by God and then we go our own way and do our own thing. And then things come into our life and then we pray again and God, and it's this cycle. Well, God used that in the old Testament where these Babylonians came and they took God's people captive. When they took them captive, they burnt the city down. They destroyed the walls. They ripped down the gates and they destroyed the temple. They destroyed all known godly civilization of what God's people stood for. And so Nehemiah is actually born into captivity. The crazy thing about this book 
If you go to your Bible and you start turning left to get to the New Testament, the, the, or you, know, you start going right to get to the New Testament, the, the last book in your Bible is not Nehemiah. It's actually Malachi. But chronologically, written uh, through the prophets of old and through the, the authors of the Bible, the, those, this is actually chronologically the last book written before Jesus came to the planet. So, this, so it just tells you the impetus of God's heart and the last thing recorded through the, through the scriptures of God was before the New Testament hit, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the last thing written was what God was doing on his heart through Nehemiah, through rebuilding the walls. When walls are torn down, the temple now at this point was built, I'll get into it, but the walls were still torn down. So the Babylonians had taken them captive. A new, a new ruler had come into place. It was the ruler of Persia. It was King Artaxerxes. And so, and so now Nehemiah is a servant to King Artaxerxes. But, but some of the people, some of the God's kids, the, the Jews had gone back to Jerusalem and started to rebuild the temple. So the temple was built, but all the walls were still torn down. It's really a picture of our world today. It's a picture of our culture. It's a picture of our society. It's a picture of a lot of our families at times, of our own hearts at times. And so the reality is walls symbolize uh, protection. Walls symbolize godly values. Walls symbolize uh, godly character. Walls are things that allow things in or out. And so we find ourselves in a world that really Nehemiah found himself in where the walls were torn down. There was a temple, there was worship, but there was no walls. And so Nehemiah... He begins to hear God and serve God and he's serving this king and God pulls him onto the scene to do a work for God and for God's people that we can read about. I'm going to pick up in chapter four. I kind of give you a little backdrop. Ezra's already built the temple and Zerubbabel have built the temple, but the city of Jerusalem is still in despair because there's no walls. It says this in chapter four, verse one, but it so happened when Sembalat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Can I, can I tell you that when you begin to decide to build something godly in your family, when you begin to decide to build a godly heart and to build a godly uh, environment in your home for your children, when you begin to decide to not allow that in or out of your house any longer, you begin to decide, I'm not going to think that way anymore. I'm going to think the way God tells me to think. When you actually begin, the, the enemy will begin to mock you from every level. He will use things to mock you. And the enemy begins to mock them and saying, I'm going to mock the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing with, will they fortify themselves? Come on. The enemy hates you making a decision to put up some walls in your life. Will they, will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from heaps of rubbish stones that are burned? So the Babylonians had burnt down the stones because when you burn stones, you can't use them again. So they had burnt them down. And so Nehemiah says, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Can I tell you that, that this, this church, I think I'm thankful for a church that has a mind to work, that, that this stuff doesn't just happen. Like we have a mind to work. Like the community isn't changed and fed and healed and families aren't healed if we don't have a mind to work. That's why I always put a strong push on you to get on serve teams and to plug in and to be a part because you're not called to be a consumer. You're called to be a contributor. Amen. We have a mind to work. We have a mind to contribute. And so they had the mind to work. Now it happened when Sembalat, Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being put, were being closed. They became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. God, why is there so much confusion in my life? <laughs> Because you've decided to build something. You decided to come to church. Y'all, you know you had confusion last night. You had that car confusion on the way, killing the kids in the back. You can't reach them, trying to swat them. 
Why is there so much confusion? Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. Nehemiah always did that. Like that was his distinguishing factor. Like he always find, you find him praying, getting on his knees, fasting. Nevertheless, I, I prayed to God. God, there's confusion. God, they're attacking us. God, I know I'm supposed to do something for you. I'm praying. And, and they prayed. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Now listen to this. It gets interesting. Then Judah, Judah means praise. This is the tribe of praise. This is the people that are called to be people of worship and praise. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. Sometimes you can feel like there's so much rubbish in my life. There's so much rubble. There's so many things that I can't build what God wants me to build. I don't know how to even start. I don't even know where to clear out or clean out. Here's the man of praise beginning to lose strength and lose hope because of all the rubble and rubbish in, in their life. And it says, and our adversaries, listen to this. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So the devil's threatening. This is the armies around. There's no walls. They're scaring the people. The people are actually backslidden. The temple is there. Worship is there. The altar is there, but they're backslidden because the enemy is just wreaking havoc on them. And then verse 12. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them God's people, God's kids who dwelt near who? Near the adversaries. When God's kids who dwelt near the enemy, when God's kids who dwelt too close to the world, when God's kids who decided to not live fully for God, but one foot in the world and the adversarial strategy of the, of the culture and one foot in the Bible, one foot in the word and one foot in the world. When those people began to hear that and dwell near them, they came and told us 10 times. They said 10 times, for whatever place you turn, there will be upon us. Can I tell you that the thing you dwell near is actually going to inform the report that you carry? Whatever thing that you live near and dwell near and, and listen to the most is actually going to inform the faith of your life and what you can say and what you can do and what you can carry. They dwelt near the enemy and began to discourage God's people from building what God called them to build. These were God's kids. They're going to be honest. Therefore, Nehemiah, wise leader, said, therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. I set the people according to their families with swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and I rose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord great and awesome. Come on. God's great and awesome. Don't be afraid in this hour. This is the greatest hour on the planet. It's dark. Yeah, it's dark, but light is lighter. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. It's dark, but grace abounds all the more. Come on. The darker it gets, the brighter we shine. For God is great and awesome. Listen to this. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Come on. There's something worth fighting for. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your wives. Fight for your children. Fight for your houses. Fight for your businesses. Fight for your calling. Fight for your church. Fight for your community. There's things that we're called to fight for. Don't be afraid. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing that all of us returned to the wall. Everyone to his work. Come on, you got to work. So it was from that time on that half my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears and the shields and the bows and wore armor and the leaders were behind the, the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. That's your calling. I'm going to build and I'm going to battle. I'm going to build and I'm going to battle. I'm going to build a family. I'm going to battle the way, the way God calls me. I'm going to build and I'm going to fight. I'm going to build and I'm going to battle. That's my calling. Calling. That's your calling. In one hand, a sword, and in one hand, a, a tool to, to build the things of God. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and, 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 and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, 
The work is great and extensive and we're separated from one another on the wall. That's what this is about. This is great and extensive. In your seat, this is great and extensive. This is great and extensive. And we're separated in our world and in our, our lives and in our functions of our businesses and families and everywhere we go. But he said, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. I'm asking us to rally to a place, rally to a vision, rally to a purpose, rally to us there. And our God will fight for us. And our God will fight for us. If we rally, God will wrestle. That's my title today. We rally, God wrestles. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for fighting for us. Thank you for giving us something to fight for, a purpose in the earth. That we're not, we're not just here taking up space and air until we meet you. We have a purpose. We have a calling. Thank you. As a church, we rally today, Lord, around your heart and your vision. Lord, I, whatever the timeline is, whatever it takes, God, I don't, if it's one year, two years, five years, we rally, God, together to build something, to, to see our city change, to see our church change, to see families impacted for the glory of God. Lord, we will rally today and we ask you to wrestle for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah is putting a rally cry. He's seeing a city that's decimated. He's seeing a call of God. And um, he, he, he says, okay, if we can rally to this, and that's really my heart is to say, as a church, we've got to rally to some things. We have to rally around one another. We had a guy in, in, in college. I hung out and went to University of Louisville. And uh, I'm a UT fan now, so don't worry. Like, come on. He's the God in the valleys, and he's the God on the mountaintops. Come on, I know last night hurt, but come on, he's still God in Jesus' name. He increased your prayer life tenfold last night. And some, of you, and some of you had to repent from a few words you said. And um, He's God. And so um, I went to University of Louisville and I hung out with a lot of the football team. And so they were bigger than me. And I wasn't always a pastor. So I frequented places in college that probably pastors didn't frequent. Can we just be real in church? And so, uh, and it was places that could have got a little bit extreme at times. And so I wanted big guys around me. I wanted to say, I wanted to be on the winning side, on the winning team. And so we'd roll into different bars and different places in Louisville and like, and we have, we'd have the whole offensive line with us. And we would have some big dudes with us. One guy's 6'2 and 250. One guy's 6'3 and 260. But one guy, this one dude, his name was Meathead. <laughs> That was his name. That's all we knew him by. It was, I, was, I don't know if it was a nickname or that's what his parents named him. They probably could have named him that. He was, he was six foot six and 287 pounds. He would bite your ear off as a greeting. He was, that was like, he was like, he was like the white Mike Tyson. You know what I'm saying? He would bite an ear in a minute. And, uh, and like this guy, he grew up in Pennsylvania. Family were steel workers. He was nuts. I mean, really we go. So whatever, whatever we go, we'd say, if we, if we get in trouble, everyone rally around meathead. <laughs> We rally and he will wrestle. And that's what he'd do. He would fight them all. He'd fight the whole bar. We never lifted a hand. Didn't lift a finger. We just got to Meathead. Get around Meathead. Like get to where he is. It didn't matter how many there were, how big they were, how strong they were. He'd wipe out a whole bouncer crew by himself, biting ears off as we smiled and enjoyed the night. <laughs> True story. Some of y'all are going to be like, I'm never going to his church again. That's okay. <laughs> Meathead uh, did all of the fighting for us. Nehemiah is saying, look, if we'll rally around God, if we'll rally together as a people, if we'll rally as brothers and sisters, if we'll rally around a vision, God will wrestle. God will fight. God will, if you'll fight for your family, God will build your family. If you'll fight for your children, God will fight for your children. If you'll battle, God will battle. Not, you don't have to do this on your own. Nehemiah, he's understanding what it looks like to build this. He's been born in captivity. Um, he's a cupbearer to the king. I'm going to give you a couple thoughts today, what it looks like to really do something for in the earth as a, as a church, as, as a family, as a leader, what it looks like to, to lead us into something great as God's people. Uh, Nehemiah, um, he has a little influence. The word cupbearer means he's actually um, 
tasting the cup of the king every time the king goes to have some wine. So, so um, he's, not a, he's not a waiter. He's not a, he's not a bus boy that way. He's literally, it's, a, it's an influential position. Um, he was taken captive from, or he was born into captivity with God's people taken into captivity. And so now he's gotten this place of influence, this position of influence. Um, it's a dangerous job. I mean, come on, every day he's tasting to see if the king's cup is poisoned. And so he's been doing this and he knows what it means to, to live in danger. And the king's brother was actually poisoned to death. That's how the, the king's brother died. And so this isn't a far removed reality for Nehemiah to go, well, this could actually happen to me. And so every day, day in and day out, he has to taste the cup of this king. He literally has to sacrifice and have to believe and has to give himself and his life to a bigger cause than himself. I mean, think about it. I mean, the kind of the fear, the concern, the, the, the courage it would take for this young man every single day for that to be. And, and listen, some of the Jews were already allowed to go back to Israel or back to Jerusalem. So people had already gone back. The temple was already built. So he stayed there. He was in this job willingly. He was working, working for the king willingly that way. And so this man understands sacrifice, courage, and it's my job and our job as a church and our job as people of God to continue to plant seeds of selfish, selflessness and courage into a generation of courage into our children, of, of, of selflessness into our marriages, into our families, because we live in a world that is not selfless and doesn't care about anybody else. And we're going to get and we're going to consume. And we're going to figure it out. No, no, no. We have to plant seeds of courage into our own hearts. I have to plant seeds of courage into our church and, and serving and giving and believing and praying. And if we don't do that intentionally, if we don't do it intentionally, it won't happen. If we don't figure out how to intentionally build a life of Sacrifice and courage. And here's this young man. The first thought for today is we're called to live for something bigger than ourselves. Amen. You're called to live for something bigger than your mortgage, your rent, the new car. Look, get the new car. Praise God. But you're called to live for something bigger than that. David said, my cup runs over. My cup runs over. Well, usually we just get a bigger cup. We got upgrade. Well, how's it ever going to run over? If we just keep getting a bigger garage, <laughs> can I just be honest in, in our church today? Like, like I, my, if my cup's going to run over, I'm going to live for something bigger than myself. It's supposed to spill over off of my life, out of my cup to others and to, to people and to be a blessing in the community. And God, I want my cup to run over. Nehemiah is living a life of sacrifice beyond himself every day, tasting a cup for a king that isn't even King Jesus. And he could give his life for that, for that cause. You and I are called to give our life for something bigger than ourselves. Uh, there was a rich man. He uh, had a giant uh, estate, 400 acres. He had about a, 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 a $10 million mansion on these four, on four, 400 acres. It was a huge estate. And, um, and he would have a party every year. And uh, at this party, he had a swimming pool. And everybody would have the festivities going on. And he would, he would say, and he would say to all the people, listen, um, if anyone is brave enough, and there was a swimming pool full of crocodiles, he said, if anyone is brave enough to swim the length of this pool full of crocodiles, I'll give you $20 million or one-fourth of my entire state. And year after year, he'd say it, and no one would jump in. No one's going to do that. One year, he's saying it, and before he gets to the last sentence out, he says, I'll give you one-fourth of my state. He hears this giant splash. He turns around, and there's this dude just fighting for his life, man, just swimming, screaming, coming up for air, getting nipped, getting bit, bleeding. He's getting, he gets out of the pool somehow with his life. He's like, oh, I made it. I mean, just ripped to shreds. And the, and the guy says, my God, man, 
I've never seen anybody in all the years of my party jump in and do that. Do you want $20 million or one-fourth of my estate? And the guy says, I don't know about any of that. I want to know who pushed me in. It takes a push to live dangerously by faith. As, as your pastor, I'm just giving you a little push. That, that car is just a little push. The believe and the faith is just a little push. Like, yes, it's dangerous. Yes, it could be bloody. Yes, it could be, it could be, it could be painful. Yes, but there's always a reward from God on the other side of stepping out on the water. Come on, I know Peter sank, but at least he walked on water for a few minutes. It is not safe living beyond yourself. What are you living for? How big are your prayers? How big is your giving? What are you living for that's beyond you? God, help me to live beyond me. Help me not to just give in to safety and comfort and getting a bigger cup. In chapter one, Nehemiah, he's, he's, he's serving the king. And this young man from Jerusalem comes and says, hey, Nehemiah, you're in a place of influence. And the, the city's in despair. And what does he do? He begins to weep. He begins to pray, he begins to fast, he begins to close his mouth and withhold food from his life because there's a cause. There's something he hears about. He hears about this city. He begins to care about something bigger than him. He begins to say, what can I do? How can you use me? How can I, how can I pray? What do I need to do, God? Would you use my life? He, he fasts and he prays and he asks God, I don't want to just exist on this planet. Would you begin to ask God, your life is bigger than just existing? We as a church are making an impact and you're a part of that. But there's things in you that God's designed for you to do to make a, an impact in the planet in this day and age that's bigger and beyond you. What moves you? Nehemiah's move to action. What causes you to want to fight for your family or for your community? What make, what's bigger than you that you want to give yourself to? I don't know. I'm asking you. I don't know what that cause is. Number two, we're positioned for purpose. We got to live for something beyond ourselves, but you and I are positioned for purpose. Nehemiah was positioned for purpose. This young man, he's, he, think about it. He probably wanted to be in Jerusalem where all the kids were going, all God's people were going. He probably didn't want to necessarily have to stay where he was day in and day out, sipping a cup to see if there was poison in it. It probably wasn't the dream, the dream job of his life, but he's positioned on purpose. He's in a place where he's got some influence. God's placed in there. God, decided years ago from the foundations of the planet that I need a young man named Nehemiah in a place called captivity. And I need him in that place because I need him to learn a couple languages. And I want him to know the languages of God's people and the language of culture so that he can influence an ungodly king. So that when I need to rebuild a city in the earth, this young man will be positioned right where I need him to be with the understanding of the culture and the kingdom and God. And he can speak all the languages of everything and then see the hand of God on him bring to pass what he wants to do in a city. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't easy. Some of you feel like you're so confined. Can I tell you, part of your confinement is actually your calling. Part of the thing that has you confined and complaining about the job and the, and the marriage and the children and the environment and the city, the thing that you wish that you could get out of, we want to run so quickly. We want to dispose of people so quickly. We want to get out of it and get away and go to the next thing so quickly. Part of the thing that's frustrating you is God designing you and equipping you for what he has for you to do in the earth. Your position for purpose. Nehemiah could have never done what he did if he wasn't positioned in a place of captivity. Sometimes our captivity, God is actually calling and equipping us in that place. I'm just asking you not to try to run so fast, not try to get out of, God doesn't waste anything. 
He's putting inside of you the pain, the, all the trials you've been through, all the pain, all the struggles, all the turmoil, all the moments that you wish you could have got out of it. God is using that inside of you. Years ago, I was in Indianapolis, Indiana, backslidden. Actually, actually was being pursued by Jesus and was running. Not backslidden, I was running. And uh, I worked at a furniture store. I was in furniture sales and I did some management and... Uh, and there was a little lady, I'll never forget her, her name. Her name was Med, M-E-D. She was about 70 years old. And like, there was just something about her. Like, she was happy. <laughs> and I wasn't. You ever met people, they, like, they just have more joy than you? Like, something was different. God was dealing with me in Med. She's 70 years old, shows up in a second career. She had lost her husband and decides to go learn how to sell furniture. She didn't probably necessarily want to be there, but this something's different. She's happy. Like, she's vacuuming different. She's just like... Humming and vacuuming. Just happy. I could just say, I mean, it just impacted me, even right now. Like, it just, like, it just, I remember it. Like, Med, her name was Med. Why am I going to remember a lady in her 70s named Med at a little place I worked at for a year and a half in Indianapolis, Indiana? I would look at her and I'd say, hey, Med, we're going around the lunch table and, and we'd pull up to, to eat lunch. And I had my little lunch. She'd pull her lunch out. I'd say, hey, Med, is that seat saved? She's like, I don't know about its eternal destination, son, but you can sit there. God knew he needed a widow named Med who'd gone through tragedy in her life and decided with joy in her heart to become a vacuumer at a local furniture store to get around a kid that would be a pastor in 20 years to put some things into his heart because he would impact the community and he would impact people and you would impact people and God has things in you. You think it's confinement. It's called calling. Nehemiah is positioned, you're positioned, I'm positioned to make a difference, I'm positioned for influence. They're in captivity, Nehemiah begins to ask the king, it says, he says, ask me, ask me, he begins to ask the king, hey king, this isn't Jesus, this is a wicked king, hey king, he says, what do you want? And he says, I want letters, I want construction permits, I want goods, I want lumber, I want, I want uh, uh, an armed entourage to, to escort me through the, to the badlands, to back to Jerusalem. And he began to ask for all this stuff. And the Bible says, and because the hand of God was on Nehemiah, the king gave him all this stuff. I, I just want to say the hand of God is on you. Would you begin to ask bigger? Would you begin to ask bigger? Can we ask, what, what is the king asking you? What are you asking for? Let me say it this way. If every one of your prayer requests was answered right now, would it matter? If the things you're requesting of the king were answered right now, would there be any difference in Knoxville or would your food just be more blessed? I'm asking myself, Jesus, am I asking big enough? You know what I'm asking? You know what I'm asking? I'm asking for about, you know, two to $6 million, Lord. And I have a nice house. I could go into retirement in 10 years. I'm fine. But, but I want to see a 950 seat auditorium built back here so that we can meet several services and that we could expand this to a youth area in the middle of this area it could all be for youth and the sides could be for kids. And the kids on Sunday could come in and have a, a platform like this to be presented the gospel with. And on each side could be classrooms and they could rotate and we'd have enough parking and we could reach Hey God, would you just do it? Because not, we don't need anything bigger, but you want to make an impact in the city and we could affect the world from here because you've given us a great little space in Cedar Bluff. What are you asking? I, I'm asking us together to believe God. The hand of God is on us. And number three, we can ask, but then we must be moved to action. 
If we say we care, we don't just pray about it. We don't just fast about it. We don't just talk about it. We got to go. We got to give. We got to hug. We got to love. We got to, we got to care. We got to sacrifice. We're moved to action. I don't know what you need to be moved to action in, in your home, in your community, in your church. I'm just asking you be moved to action. I was in the lobby yesterday, Friday with a officer Blakely's widow. She showed up because you gave her $10,000. We gave her and her son $10,000 to because we were moved to action. You were moved to action. There's no amount of money that can suffice. I was in a lobby. I didn't know what to say. I had, a, I had an envelope. It was almost, a, it was almost embarrassing to give $10,000 to, to a young lady. She didn't know what was in it. I just gave the envelope. And I, it was the, the, the pain in her heart and her life and her eyes and just talking to me. I didn't know if she'd want to hang out or talk or leave or go. And she just wanted to talk. And she's just talking about her son and her, her husband and, and the little car wreck that she got in and got rear-ended by the car. But the people are yelling at her. But she's like, I've lost stuff that's bigger than this. I don't care about the car. Go your way. Like, we have to be moved to action. I just didn't have words, but I said, God, just use me. Let me stand here. Let me cry with her. Let me weep. Let me be here. And whatever she needs, whatever, I'm moved, oh God. I'm, I'm going to make a fool of myself. I don't even know what to say. I'm probably going to say the wrong thing, but oh God, I'm moved to do whatever it is I can do to be a person for her right now in this moment. We have to be moved to action. Nehemiah fasts and prays, and he goes to Jerusalem, and he begins to assess the city. He doesn't put his head in the sand. He begins to look and he sees the walls are torn down. The, the actual protection of a city's torn down. He doesn't act like nothing's wrong. Here's the thing. This is where we are in a lot of churches. And I pray to God, maybe a lot of people. There was a temple and there were sacrifices. There was worship, but there were no walls. There was worship, but there were no walls. There was, there was people coming to the altar. There were people singing, but still suicidal. There were people going to church because there was worship, but there were no godly boundaries in their life. There were no godly barriers in their life. There were, no, there were no areas of protection without walls. Walls symbolize protection. Without walls, anything can get in and out. The enemy gets in and out. Walls are the boundaries of your life. Anything can come in and out. And so we have a people, a church, even in, in this day and age, that loves to worship, but doesn't want to put up godly walls, doesn't want to put up the boundaries, doesn't want to put up the godly word in their life and build according to his word and his design and his calling. And a lot of times you wonder why you should not stop because you're not wicked. You're not weak. It's just that you have worship, but you haven't put up the walls that you need to put up in your life to let the discipline in God's word actually be around you to kill the flesh, to put in discipline, to say no to the lust, to say no to the, to the things that you know that you shouldn't have in your life. And so we can worship all day long and leave here the same. Worship and pray for a financial miracle, but not get any help without a budget. Worship and pray that God would use me, but not quit having sex when I shouldn't be because I'm not married. Not worship and say, God, I love you, but still kind of cheating on this or doing that. I, I'm just, I'm just, there's different still God saying, listen, I want your worship, but I also need you to build walls. So part of, for me, part of building a bigger thing is not the bigger thing. We're called as a church to build walls. 
to help a generation. I'm not talking about legalistic junk and putting a bunch of rules and heaviness on people. No, I'm talking about building, letting God build walls in people's life where the fear of God and the life of God begins to build healthy lives in the kingdom. That we don't just, we're not just wreaked havoc on by the enemy in our life every single day because we haven't put up the walls that we need in our life. Nehemiah sees it and he says, listen, if you'll rally, God will fight for us. Can I just say this to you? God will build the walls. Some of you feel like, I, can't, I don't even know where to start. There's too much rubble. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do. God will build the walls. God will actually get involved. If you'll fight for your family, God will fight. If you'll kill the flesh, God will help you kill the flesh by the Spirit. If you'll, say, if you'll say no to the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the, and, the, and the lust of the flesh, God will help you battle that as well. If you'll begin to fight for your children, God will begin to fight for your children. If you'll begin to say no to some stuff and put some boundaries in your life, the Bible in Proverbs says a, a man without walls or a man without discipline is like a city with no walls. We can worship all day long, but if we don't have a disciplined life of godliness, we'll leave here. And wonder why it doesn't work. I need walls in my life. My, my question is, where have walls come down that have made you vulnerable? We all have places we need to work on. That's the whole point of the book of Nehemiah, that we cannot live a life without boundaries, that we cannot worship God without gates and walls around the city. And la- lastly, the enemy says, are they really going to rebuild with all this rubbish? Can they really revive these burnt stones? Can I say this to you? God will use burnt stones to rebuild walls. The enemy's been mocking you going, can they really rebuild a marriage with all that rubbish? Can they they really think that they can rebuild with all that char and all that burnt stuff and all those mistakes and all that turmoil? No, no, no. All you got to do is begin to polish off the stones. God got involved in 52 days. They built the wall, which was supernatural with burnt stones. It was impossible. Can I tell you, if you'll just give the rubble and the rubbish to God, he can revive it. He can breathe on it. He can clean it up and he will use your life. Even when the enemy's telling you there's too much rubble and too much burnt and too much hurt and too much pain and too many things that have been charred in your life. No, God will rebuild your life with that. Don't give up on him. Don't, don't, don't walk away from him. Don't, don't listen to the enemy saying that there's too much rubbish and too much rubble in your life. There's not. God actually wants to use you to help rebuild through whatever the pain was, whatever the hurt was. The greatest way to get people revived is get them involved in a rebuilding project. They're rebuilding some things for God. One last story. You all with me still? I, I just want our footsteps to lead to the right things. True story. A man in Chicago, a lawyer, he was successful, drank every morning. He couldn't, he couldn't shake it. Functioning alcoholic, I guess you'd say. Had a six-year-old little boy. Every morning he'd walk to work. And one year, his boy was six. He walked out the door. And there was a little bar every morning he'd turn into and go in and get a couple shots, whatever he would take before he'd go to work. And there was a little light snow on the ground. And he left home that day and he went. And he t- went to turn into the bar and he heard a voice behind him, a little six-year-old boy. It was his son. Daddy. He turned around and he saw the little boy following him a couple blocks. He snuck out away from mom and was following the dad. And as the dad was turning into the bar, he turned around and looked at him. And the little boy was walking in his dad's footprints in the snow. Just behind him silently, sneaking up on him. 
the whole, the whole way. The dad said, son, come on, you shouldn't be out away from home. He didn't turn into the bar. He took his son back to the house, gave his son to the wife, and he went down to the basement and he got on his knees and he just said, oh God, would you never allow my footprints and my footsteps to lead my son or anybody in my life to something other than your feet? He never touched alcohol again in his life. This isn't about alcohol. It's about It's about boundaries. It's about walls. It's about, can we as a church, can we as a community of God, can we actually be the community of God? Can we say we're going to worship and we're going to build walls? We're going to make our footsteps lead to the feet of God. Not that we're going to be perfect. We're going to mess up. But the Bible says when we do fall, we get up seven times and we create a path of the righteous for people to follow. My heart is that we leave the right footsteps in in the snow for the next generations. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for... Your word, thank you for the Nehemiah spirit. I pray Nehemiah spirit over our church to fight for our kids, our homes, our wives, our families, our sons, our daughters, our husbands. Lord, I pray for the Nehemiah spirit. You said if we would fight, you would fight. That if we would rally, you would wrestle. So I pray for some people to rally around the purpose of you today. That anyone feeling like they're too charred or too burnt or too or too discarded, oh God, would you take the the pain, the hurt, the char, would you actually remove that and let them know, let them have faith today that you can revive through the rubbish, you can use the rubble of our life, the pain, the hurt, the things we've been through, the areas the enemy mocks us, you can actually use to rebuild a city. You can use to do miracles in our midst. I pray that over every family in this room, that there's areas, any wall that's come down, they wouldn't feel judged, they would just say, God, help me, help me, God, help me rebuild this area. In this area, I've been vulnerable. Help me, Jesus. I can only do it by your strength. God, would you help us today in our areas of weakness? Would you help us rebuild some walls where we need and where we're vulnerable today? Do it for our children, Lord. We know that this next generation needs some walls, God. Lord, the walls have been torn down. You said if the, if the foundation's torn down, what can the righteous do? God, help us to, to build on a foundation and put some, some godly infrastructure around this thing. Thank you for a free people. I pray the blessing. I pray your hand on them today. Just for another second, if you're in this room and you've never given your life to Jesus, maybe you've been trying to protect yourself, build your own city, do your own thing. I know I did it for years. If you're watching online right now, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. That's a lot of pressure. God says, if you fight, I'll fight for you. You've been fighting for yourself. You haven't been trusting God. Jesus came and fought for you, died on the cross, took the weight of the world, took the weight of sin, took the weight of rebellion, took all of our brokenness, shame and guilt, took all my rebellion, nailed it to a tree, took my punishment for that, and then rose from the dead to give me brand new life. It's that simple. That's the gospel. You don't fix yourself, clean yourself up. You don't even have to bring yourself to it. God has brought you to this moment. If you're watching online and you need a fresh start with God, the Bible says surrender to Jesus, believe in your heart that he is God and that he rose from the dead and you get a fresh start in God. If you're in this room and you need a fresh start today, maybe it's your first one ever, maybe it's your 50th one, I don't know, but God is here and all it takes is you saying yes to Jesus, I surrender. I'm not gonna embarrass you right now if you're online, would you just type in fresh start? Pray for me. I need a fresh start. We want to pray for you right now. And then if you're in this room, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to ask you to boldly lift your hand to me and say, Pastor, I need a fresh start. Pray for me. No one looking around. Would you hold it up high and bold to me right now? I need a fresh start with God, with Jesus today in my life. I need a fresh start this morning. Thank you for your honesty and your courage. Thank you for your boldness. God bless you. God bless you. I need a fresh start in my life. 
No one's perfect. We all need Jesus. Come on, several people saying yes. Come on, church, let's be praying together right now. Come on, let's just keep praying. People saying yes to God, yes to the cross, yes to what Jesus did. Come on, Jesus rose from the dead on the third day to prove that he is God. He defeated hell, sin, Satan, and there's life in his name. I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. Would you pray this prayer with me if you put your hand up? If you didn't but need to, pray with me right now. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, I surrender to you. You're God. I believe that you're God. I believe you died on that cross 2,000 plus years ago. I believe you took my punishment, my shame. You took my guilt. You took my, my pressure. You took all that. You took the fight. You took the battle into your own hands on that cross. And then publicly you were beaten and shamed so that I don't have to be. And then you rose from the dead on the third day, proving to me, God, that you're God, and that you beat death and that you have life in your name. Jesus, would you give me life today? Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a brand new heart and I'll serve you the rest of my life in Jesus' matchless name. Come on, let's give God praise in here. Proud of, proud of you. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.